Welcome to our new podcast, Politics is Everything, where each week we'll explore a new way in which politics in the era of Donald Trump is affecting an industry, person, company, or issue in a way that it hasn't really done before. I'm Caitlin Huey Burns, national political reporter for Real Clear Politics, and I'll be your host. Ever since the now commander-in-chief descended that golden escalator to announce his unlikely bid for the presidency nearly two years ago, Donald Trump has been all-consuming. The 2016 election proved to be the most watched campaign in memory, and unlike after more traditional campaigns, Americans didn't really retreat back into their own lives. An unconventional candidate became an unconventional president, and even 100 days in, it's still nearly impossible to look away. Now, the drama and intrigue of the Trump presidency has people seemingly more engaged in and affected by politics. And thanks to this new White House, Americans are paying close attention to what used to be mundane. We want to take our viewers now. This is happening live right now. It's being live streamed. The travel ban appeals here in the state of Washington versus the president of the United States, Donald Trump. Let's go ahead and listen. No brunch or birthday party or social media space these days is safe from discussion about the latest in politics. A new Gallup poll found that nearly 60% of working Americans say that people around them have been discussing political issues more over the past four months than they have before. These days, Stephen Bannon and Kellyanne Conway and even people like Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak have become something of household names. The name on everybody's lips is Gallup Bay, Conway. Politics is everywhere these days. Politics is everything. On today's episode, we'll look at an industry that is reaping the benefits of a more engaged, more animated public in the Trump era, the world of late-night comedy. Because Trump doesn't have the firmest grasp on policy, it's difficult to know at any moment what he actually believes and what he actually wants to do. But on Tuesday, he at least made one definitive statement about something he doesn't want to do. I'm not and I don't want to be the president of the world. And it's weird. But it's a relief just to hear Trump say, I don't want to be president of the world. Late night hosts, at least for a lot of them, it's no longer just about making people laugh. Mm. Okay. That's Sohan Dev, a culture reporter for the New York Times and a former CBS News embed who followed the Trump campaign for a year and a half. We'll talk to him about comedy in the Trump era and the president's own comedic sense later on in the show. We also have Ben Terrace of The Washington Post, who recently wrote a piece about how the cast and crew of the HBO political comedy show Veep are reckoning with a new season with Trump as president. And Penn State University professor Sophia McLennan joins us. She studies the intersection of politics and culture and is the author of, among other books, Colbert's America, Satire and Democracy. Our guests will help us explore how comedians and satirists are approaching the Trump presidency and what the consequences are. Programs like The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and Late Night with Seth Meyers, once struggling to find their groove, have seen a ratings boost with segments focused on politics. Colbert recently eclipsed Jimmy Fallon in the ratings race. Yet this week, Colbert came under fire for taking his jokes about the president a little too far. So while I would do it again, I would change a few words that were cruder than they needed to be. Now, I'm not going to repeat the phrase, but I just want to say, for the record, life is short. And anyone who expresses their love for another person in their own way is, to me, an American hero. And I think we can all agree on that. I hope even the president and I can agree on that. Nothing else but that. Fallon touches on political news of the day in his monologue, but mostly sticks to his regular shtick. During the campaign, he was criticized, actually, for taking politics a little too lightly, here tossing Donald Trump's hair. 
Can I mess your hair up? The answer is yes, but the people in New Hampshire, where I'm going to be in about an hour from now, I hope they're going to understand. Okay. <laughs> you say yes? Go ahead. With my hair spray. Trevor Noah has also seen an increase in viewership since taking over The Daily Show from Jon Stewart in 2015. And Sam B. has also seen a lot of success. Last weekend, she hosted her own version of the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And joining me right now is Samantha B., who's right in the middle of her Not the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Hi. Uh, so were you nervous about this event? Uh, well, you know, I guess, uh, I guess a little bit. A little bit. Mm -hmm. Then why before the show did you say you were, quote, confident and excited? Well, I, I guess I'm not really that nervous. Well, were you lying then or are you lying now? No, neither. That's not an answer, but we're going to move on here. Can you tell us who your special guest is going to be? It's supposed to be a surprise. Some analysts and critics argue that this bounce may be more attributable to the hosts playing to their original strengths. But the Trump campaign and now the Trump presidency has given them plenty of material. Trump is already saving jobs. For instance, he has done wonders for mine. Saturday Night Live has also hit a high, and political spoofs have gone viral. Well, Mr. Trump, thank you for still accepting our refugees. Homie, say what? President, Bo uh, President Obama said America would accept 1,200 refugees. Your country's compassion will not be forgotten. No, 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 no refugees. America first. Australia sucks. Your reef is failing. Prepare to go to war. There have also been reports of SNL's satirical news show Weekend Update getting its own spinoff. Just hours ago, North Korea attempted a missile launch, but as soon as it took off, it immediately exploded. North Korea claimed the failed launch was actually just a tribute to Donald Trump's first 100 days in office. <laughs> And if Americans didn't know the name of White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer, they do now in the form of Melissa McCarthy, who plays him on SNL. Begin today by apologizing on behalf of you to me <laughs> for how you have treated me these last two weeks. And that apology is not accepted. Because <laughs> I'm not here to be your buddy. I'm here to swallow gum and I'm here to take Nate. <laughs> Spicer's briefings are often ripe for parody. A recent flub was set to the closing credits of the HBO comedy, Veep. We didn't use chemical weapons in World War II. You know, you had a, you know, someone as despicable as Hitler who didn't even sink to the, to the, to using chemical weapons. With a new reality like this, Veep's own writers and stars are challenging themselves to get a little more creative. Uh, I think that Veep has torn down the wall between comedy and politics. <laughs> Our show started out as a political satire, but it now feels more like a sobering documentary. <laughs> so I certainly do promise to rebuild that wall and make Mexico pay for it. Ben Terrace of the Washington Post recently spent some time with the cast and crew of the show for his piece called What Happens to Political Satire When the Real World Goes Mad? Veep is about to find out. Terrace says he was interested in the way in which the Veep team felt that Trump might be proving the case of their show. At the same time, the concern about reality trumping comedy loomed large. The, the worst thing that can happen to a show like like Veep is that they look quaint by comparison to what's real. I mean, so if you if you have the satire and people are paying attention and what was once outlandish and funny now seems, you know, kind of work a day by comparison to what's happening in the real world, then you don't have a good uh, you don't have a good comedy anymore. So they have to, you know, recognize that they are working in a, a different landscape than they were in the past. They also considered whether the politics heavy news cycle would turn viewers away from comedies about politics. 
they they felt like it could go one of two ways for people. One, you know, after spending so much time paying attention to politics, like who would want to, you know, on a Sunday night watch more inept politicians, you know, act in in a callous and often, you know, kind of craven manner. But on the other, um, it can be good to laugh at, you know, at things that are stressful or things that aren't going the way that you want. I mean, uh, I talked to Julia Louis-Dreyfus for the story, and and she was saying that, you know, on the one hand, uh, you know, the world of politics is is disheartening, but on the other, it's made her job really easy because she really, like, she gets a kick out of, um, you know, poking fun of things that she doesn't, you know, on the face of it, find funny. So even if she doesn't find Donald Trump to be funny because she, you know, thinks of him as dangerous and scary, it can be really satisfying and, and kind of therapeutic to, to be funny about it. One of the easier way to deal with, to deal with uh, you know, the unknown is to kind of laugh at it, right? Instead of just cowering in fear about what, what's going to happen tomorrow, you can kind of laugh at some of the, the chaos that's happened and, and it can be comforting. And so I think that, you know, this is a president that is in a lot. He, he's a lot of things, but he's certainly entertaining. And that's exactly the goal of the show. At the end of the day, it's about being funny. The idea of the show is not to be, it's not activism. You know, that's not the idea. The idea is to be funny. That is the main goal, first and foremost, is to make people laugh and to be a funny show. But in some ways, people have said that, yeah, it, it, there, it could be important in some ways because um, people will see the dysfunction of Washington and it will make it harder for them to ignore it. So if you're watching this show, and you laugh at how crazy it is, but then also think to yourself, like, oh, man, if that's really what it's like, I have to, you know, pay, atten- pay attention and be vigilant and, you know, go out and vote or, um, you know, uh, pay attention to politics uh, more closely than if it didn't seem uh, so important. Political satire and political comedy are nothing new. We've been making fun of presidents and politicians for a long time. Ah, damn. Bulletproof. We're almost out of time, so I will instead ask each candidate to sum up in a single word the best argument for his candidacy. Governor Bush? Strategery. Hillary and I don't agree on everything. Anything. I believe that diplomacy should be the cornerstone of any foreign policy. And I can see Russia from my house. So I asked Sophia McClellan, the Penn State professor, what's different, if anything, about what we're seeing now in comedy? It's really hard to impersonate someone who seems like an impersonation. So when Chevy Chase is like uh, pretending to be Gerald Ford and like tripping on stuff, that that's not satire. That's just making a powerful person seem human, right? And people love that. I mean, that's a big part of a certain kind of comedy, right? So taking someone who has an aura of power or celebrity and making them seem every day. And what satire does is it exposes folly, right? It exposes absurdity. So it's not just that Baldwin can do a good Trump, right? It's that Baldwin is sort of showing us a vision of Trump that is really satisfying to his audience. Uh, He tends to have Trump sort of acting a little freaked out and afraid. And it's a side of Trump that we could imagine that exists, but we never get to see. So it's all those inner sanctum conversations. And that that's part of why I think those have been so, so, so successful. And then you'd have to add to that the extraordinary um, impersonation of Sean Spicer by Melissa McCarthy. I mean, it was just unbelievable. So what's the effect? Believe it or not, comedy like this has a real impact on democracy. 
I get that moment of feeling connected to other people who are watching the show, right? And to him, right, as well. So that sense of, wow, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who thinks this is crazy. That has a real political value because democracy depends on a sense of being connected to people who have, you know, the same sorts of ideas, right? So even if it doesn't make me go onto Twitter or make me sign a petition, just that moment of feeling part of a group that gets the joke, that's valuable. Comedians are playing prominent roles here, sometimes even venturing into journalism and fact-checking. I asked McLennan about this trend. The first thing to remember is that comedians, like, they like to be funny. (laughs) They want to be funny. They don't want to be journalists. It wasn't what they got into the business to do. Um, And back in the day, Stuart and Colbert would say, you know, please don't get your news from us. You know, that's not what we're doing. And there, there was some pretty interesting research that was done on the types of stories those guys were covering because, of course, they were covering the things that made for the best comedy, which meant that there would be major things going on in the world that they wouldn't cover, right? Because it wasn't, what, in their opinion, right, leading towards good jokes. Um, but the question about the power or the place of satire as a source of news is really more a question about the news, right? It's about the fact that the news itself has gotten so terrible. It doesn't do a good job and it doesn't inform the public. It spends way too much time on opinion-driven pieces than on informing the citizenry. Um, There's lots and lots of data that shows that people who watch satire news are more informed than people who watch cable. We're seeing both things happen. Right. We're seeing a fatigue and an anxiety and a depression at the same time that we're seeing people get up each day and say, I have to pay attention. Right. And I have to be engaged. I also asked her whether comedy these days is becoming more partisan than before. Satirists go after stupidity. Right. They go after things that are illogical. They go after things that they think don't make sense. And so they go after everyone doing that. Right. I mean, John Stewart really, really went after Nancy Pelosi, right? Consistently on his show. So, so they don't, the, the folks that are worried about partisanship, they don't pay attention to those things because it doesn't help confirm their bias on this. But the reality is that satire is about mocking stupidity. It's about exposing deception, manipulation, a lot of the satire is about the news media itself. Dennis Miller is my best example of the current sort of conservative satirist. And believe me, he makes some really good jokes, right? Um, because he's doing the exact same thing. Sure, he has sort of his perspective and the things he picks up on. But he's right. He will find those times when uh, the, say, liberal agenda just seems dumb. That's what he's going after. It's the stupidity. And thinking about Trump's influence on comedy and the way in which comedians are responding to his administration, I wondered about the president's own sense of humor. Who better to ask than So Pandeb, culture reporter for The New York Times who spent countless hours following Trump around the country as an embedded reporter for CBS News. Deb is also a comedian himself and does stand-up in New York City. So I asked him, is Trump funny? Uh, you know, I saw hundreds and hundreds of Trump rallies in more than 40 states. I recognize a comic when I see one. And he had this has some of the same ticks, right? He has he's coming up there. He has like a list, kind of a set list. Whether whether Trump is actually funny is 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 a matter of opinion, 
But does Trump have a sense of humor sometimes? And is he trying to be funny? Is he trying to be an entertainer? One hundred percent. You know, there would be some things that he he would do that were you couldn't help but laugh at. He had this interesting verbiage, this interesting way of talking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he would. He, you know, I just remember uh, one of the one of the more amusing uh, things that he would he did on the on the campaign trail. He once saw this guy. I think we were in South Carolina, and he once saw this guy um, dressed like him in the audience. So he brings him on stage. He's like, you're dressed like me. Oh, my God. And, and you, look kind of, you look really a lot like me. And I think he said, um, is your wife here? And the guy that's dressed like him, and this is in front of thousands and thousands of people, mm-hmm. points at uh, his wife. Yeah, that's my wife right there. She's sitting uh, in the front row there. Yeah, wow. And then Trump goes, uh, is she satisfied? And the guy goes, uh, yeah, sure, I think so. And then <laughs> Trump goes, um, yeah, I think because because uh, she's thinking of me that night, like because because this guy's dressed wow. like him, and uh, and it was just so funny. I mean, you couldn't help Did but the laugh. Crowd get it? Oh yeah. yeah, the crowd would adore him. Yeah, I mean they love this stuff. Yeah, when he did Lion Ted. Lion Ted. When he would lead mm-hmm. tens of thousands yeah, of people. Yeah, so many impersonations. He I would cut about right. Yeah. He came in. He he would uh, he would say. Um, what was the line? It was like, Lion Ted! And the crowd starts, yeah. lying, crowd starts chanting, Lion Ted. Yeah. And then he would say, Hold the Bible high. Bible high. Puts it down and then he lies. Puts it down and then he lies. You know, he's a liar. I never met a liar like him. I met a lot tougher people than him, but I never met a guy that lied as much. <laughs> and hold it and hold out the lies. And, and it became a thing. Yeah. And he would come on stage and he would like say, a It would be a shtick. Yeah. He'd come out and say, And then he, uh, uh, one of my favorite ones was Marco Rubio. Oh, he yeah. said, Marco Rubio. Little Marco. Little Marco, right. <laughs> but then he would mock him for drinking too much water. He would right. say, Marco Rubio, this guy's sweating and sweating. Can you imagine him across from Putin? Putin's not taking him seriously. Think of this. So we have Putin, and Putin's going to meet our president, and let's assume it's Marco. Now, I agree with you. We don't want him. Boo, boo. And Putin's sitting there waiting for a kill, and he knows all about Marco because when they put Marco on to refute President Obama's speech, do you remember that catastrophe? And he's like this, and we will, ha, ha. I need water. Help me. I need water. Help. And then he, one time he took a, actually brought a water bottle on stage. I remember that. And then he yeah. drinks the water bottle. He says, yeah. look, I'm Marco Rubio. Yeah. And he throws the water bottle into the, into the crowd. And the crowd loves it. And the crowd is going nuts. Yeah. Like, they've never seen this. Right. Who has? Yeah. You think Jeb Bush is on stage saying things right. like... Well, that was such the contrast. Right. I mean, you had, yeah. you know, I think that the theatrical element, I think, was lost on, a, on some people not being at these rallies and covering the campaign. You know, the whole wall mm-hmm. chant, too, is, like, oh, yeah, a, a, sure. a part of the whole... And who's going to pay for it? Mexico! Exactly. And then he's, like, 100%. 100%. Well, it's yeah. interesting, too. I mean, you do stand-up. Yeah. Is, is, is Trump... Trump is the topic of every conversation lately, mm-hmm. particularly in comedy. You're doing stand-up here mm-hmm. in New York. Yeah. Is it part of your shtick? Is it... Have you it's seen not... it more uh, in other people that you've been watching? So... 
I'll, 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 I'll dispute the premise, which is that mm-hmm. it's as prevalent as comedy as you think. It is if you watch Stephen Colbert, Sam B, Kim, mm-hmm. if you watch the late night hosts, right? Mm-hmm. But not everybody does comedy for the same reason. That's mm-hmm. not the reason I do comedy. Mm-hmm. Some people are, uh, do comedy because they want to do observational humor. They want to be Jerry Seinfeld. They want to mm-hmm. talk about the subway ride they had that morning. Mm-hmm. I talk about my culture and being Indian and, and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not my voice talking about Donald Trump or politics. Sure, okay. Um, and, and, you know, some people want to go on stage and they just want to talk about, um, you know, they want to talk about their relationship. Mm-hmm. They want to talk about maybe they have, a, you know, I, I the other day I followed someone who did an entire set about dealing with an eating disorder. Um, and then, of course, yes, there are people that are really, that all they want to do is talk about politics, of course. But comedians aren't a monolithic group. And so they don't, so not everyone has the same things to say. Not everyone has the same things they want to talk about. And not mm-hmm. everyone gets into this for the same reason. Some people are just mm-hmm. doing it because it's therapeutic, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, now with that being said, yeah, it, Trump does hang over everything, you know. Whether, you know, positively or negatively, he does hang over everything. And if you look at the late night hosts, yeah. if you look at, you know, it, late night hosts, at least for a lot of them, it's no longer just about making people laugh. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you look at Stephen Colbert, if you look at Sam B, John Oliver, mm-hmm. those shows are trying to advocate, and they're trying to be sometimes reporters. Mm-hmm. They're not just trying to make you laugh. They are one hundred percent. We have a point of view. Mm-hmm. We don't want to. You know. I, you know. I actually happened to have a conversation with Stephen Colbert after the election, and he said, you know, we don't want to normalize Donald Trump. But if then if you look at Jimmy Fallon, here's a good example of what I mean by not everyone does it for the same I reason. Think about yeah. Jimmy yeah. Fallon. Um, Jimmy Fallon. He's not trying to be Walter Cronkite, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and nor should he have to. Right. It's not, it's not, it's, it's not you know, part of his. It's, he's yeah. a comedian. His his goal with his show is mm-hmm. to make people laugh. That's it. Full stop. Mm-hmm. Okay, whether yeah. that through funny sketches and right. playing, and playing t- hit, tussling Trump's hair, tussling Trump's hair. I was actually always a little baffled about the reaction of Jimmy Fallon tussling Trump's hair. Okay. You know, I was always that. a little baffled. Because, the criticism, because yeah, he's highly criticized. A right? lot of criticism. Yeah. Scathing, like, I'm yeah. never going to watch Fallon's show again. Right. I was always baffled by that because he's not a journalist. Mm-hmm. He's a, he's, his, the aim of his show is to make people laugh, and that's it. Now, you, we yeah. can a- agree or disagree. And I, I'm not taking a position on whether tussling Trump's hair is funny or not. Yeah. But... But this notion of whether Donald Trump is, whether that was appropriate or not, I mean, he's, he's, not, supposed to, he's not supposed to hold Donald Trump's feet to the fire. So when did we see this um, kind of cross into late night? I'm using late night just because it's so accessible sure. to people. Yeah. And because you do have Colbert, uh, Seth Meyers, I mm-hmm. mean, you could argue, too, that their shows were kind of, um, you know, flailing or not up to par with other shows. There's talk of Stephen Colbert, you know, mm-hmm. being replaced at some point or being moved back down to the mm-hmm. lower slot. And they kind of hang on to the, you know, current events that involve Trump. When did that kind of cross into almost, like, advocacy journalism in some way occur? Was so it during t- the campaign? Taking the case. inauguration? Right. Taking the case of Colbert, he's been doing this for years. He did this before That's Trump. Right. Let's yeah. not forget what the Colbert Report was this searing right. satire targeting George. But let's not forget right. when Colbert did the uh, correspondence dinner. Right. You know, where he, you know, he mocked George Bush vici- viciously to his face. Right. Um, so with Colbert, I think it was less a crossover and more a return to his roots. Because I think when he first started his show, he wasn't. They were trying to find themselves. What do we do here? Are we mm-hmm. are we being too political? Mm-hmm. Are we, um, you know, how do we kind of um, appeal to a wide swath of 
you know, viewers. Right. And then after a couple weeks and months, I think, I think Colbert and, and his team, and they hired Chris Lick to be a new EP. They said, no, we're right. going to go back Former to CBS what... CBS News producer. Right, yeah. right. Uh, we're going to go back to what made Stephen Colbert Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that... But at some point during the election, I think comedians, you know, guys like Seth Meyers, they said, okay, like, we're not just going to make people laugh. And, and I, I don't know when that point happened during the election. Mm-hmm. At some point, Donald Trump stopped being funny, I think, for some of these mm-hmm. comics. Mm-hmm. But I look at Trevor Noah as a great example of someone... Trevor Noah, you know, if you watch a show on a night-in, night-out basis, mm-hmm. Trevor Noah's, I think, found his own voice. I, don't, mm-hmm. I think he's... Uh, I, I think that Trevor Noah, when he first started with The Daily Show, there was like this... Mm-hmm. There's like this, uh, well, he's having trouble feeling John Stewart's shoes. Mm-hmm, right. Now, if you watch him now, his, his, the writing is very sharp, mm-hmm. it's very witty, and it's very Trevor Noah mm. in a way that I think it might not have been early on in his tenure. It's like finding his voice through yeah. Trump. Right. Or through uh, the Trump era. Yeah. yeah. But I think he would have found his voice regardless. I think he's a very so talented comic. That's and so, my question, too. I mean, how much is, is Trump influencing this kind of comedy? Um, this kind of, you know, you have Colbert, Trevor Noah, yeah. Myers, other people kind of, you know, Colbert said, you know, Trump's already saving jobs, like Myers, <laughs> some paraphrase of that. Um, you know, it's a good question, and I would love to know, I wish there was like a virtual reality where we could test this and see how the ratings would have mm-hmm. been if Hillary Clinton would have won. Mm-hmm. Because truthfully, I'm of, the, I'm of the position that Trevor Noah and Stephen Colbert, you know, they're very talented Mm-hmm. comedians. I don't know that they needed Donald Trump to show that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. does does uh you know, it's not like politics and stakes being high mm-hmm. only happened because Donald Trump became president. Mm-hmm. It the stakes would have been high, the world would have been, you know, yeah. a crazy place to live in even yeah. if Hillary Clinton was president. Right. I mean, we're seeing that now. And we're seeing right. Yeah. Sure. Um so I I don't know the answer to that. Uh, and I would love to I, I would I just I'm, I I just resist saying Donald Trump became president and therefore all these comedians suddenly found their voice. Mm-hmm. These guys were talented before they had before Donald mm-hmm. Trump became president. Before mm-hmm. Donald Trump announced his run, you know. Right. So I I just hesitate to say that. Um, I think it's doing the comedians a disservice mm-hmm. to say that Donald Trump is the reason that they're having all this material. Mm-hmm. I will say there some of them are finding are being have found them are defining themselves a lot more. Seth Meyers, you go to Seth Meyers, he's doing... That's an important distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Seth Meyers is, you know, doing 10-minute segments, you know, a closer look, where he's actually doing journalism, where he's fact-checking Trump and and educating viewers Mm -hmm. while intermingling jokes in there. Mm -hmm. That's something I don't know if, if... Myers would be doing as often a couple years ago. Mm, And that, that, so there there definitely is some, is some, okay, Trump, you know, Trump impact here, of course. Right, right. But... If it wasn't that, Seth Meyers would have found something else. Well, this is a related question. I mean, do you think there's going to ever be kind of a Trump fatigue in terms of uh, people, in terms of comedy, in terms of people interested in politics right now? I mean, it seems like Mm. it's been around forever, but he's only been president, we're talking, on day 90, I believe. Yeah, right. Do you Uh, think that people are going to get tired of the the comedic aspect of Trump? Maybe, maybe not. The truth is we have have never had a president like this. Mm -hmm. There have been so many unprecedented things happening here. Mm -hmm. The future is very volatile mm-hmm. in every you know industry. Whether it's you know mm-hmm. Hollywood, we don't know what movies are going to be like. You know, you remember uh, the show Twenty Four. Mm-hmm. The show Twenty Four. Uh, you know, 
was almost, you know, you had a lot of themes from, you know, they had waterboarding, boarding, the Iraq war, mm-hmm. you know, the post 9-11 mm-hmm. world. And that was a big reason that 24 became, um, you know, a cultural phenomenon, you know, mm-hmm. but I don't think that show, you know, if it was conceived of today, although there is like, there was that reboot that aired, but, uh, but uh, I don't think, I think the issues going on at the time very much informed 24. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. so I'm sure that will happen in the movies. I'm sure that that's already happened in television. Mm-hmm. Um, but will there be Trump fatigue? I don't know. What I will say is that cable news ratings are up. Mm-hmm. You know, late night. You know, Colbert. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys are doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Oliver seems to be very popular. Mm-hmm. SNL. Uh, SNL is popular. Yeah. Um, and why is that? And so it, it could, there could be fatigue, or maybe the numbers keep rising. For what it's worth, it seems like liberals, people on the left, have found mm-hmm. a safe space in these mm-hmm. late night shows. You know, a place where they can tune in and, and just let out some grievances, which well, is what these late night shows... That's interesting, too, because sometimes comedy has, a, you know, a, a forcing social impact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Forcing some, or, or encouraging some kind of social action, right? I mean, mm-hmm. satire is usually connected with that. Mm-hmm. Is, is that. Are we seeing any evidence of that? You know, people tuning into these kinds of shows and thinking, oh, I really want to go out and, you know, vote in a special election or volunteer or that kind of thing. I don't think so. Okay. I think that the impact of comedy is that it's a distraction. It's, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it can be sometimes a very effective distraction. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, I don't know if late night hosts are changing minds. I don't know if mm-hmm. comedians are changing minds. Mm-hmm. Um, John Stewart, I think, was a notable exception to this. Right. Um, but, but now there's like this, almost this, the saturation, right? Cause you have so many yeah. people doing it now. Right, right. Um, there's so much material. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you look at the results of the 2016 election, I mean, what was the impact of late night there? Well, if you look at the results, I, how, I mean, that, yeah. now that's of course a very vague kind of ridiculous, you know, analysis on my part. I mean, you know, you can't just say, well, late, uh, Trump became president and late night was the cause. No, no, I, you know, but I, I just, I'm just not convinced that it's late night comedy has this huge impact. And I, yeah. by the way, I would guess if you ask the comedians themselves, mm-hmm. they would say the same thing. Oh, we're just comedians. We're trying to make people laugh. That's what John Stewart used to do all the time. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm just a comedian. I'm not a journalist. Yeah. And it was a little, I, th- I always thought that was a little bit of a cop-out, but, you know, I, you yeah. see his point, though. But at the same time. Well, I mean, that brings me to kind of one of my last questions is, you know, with SNL is a great example. SNL's been making fun of presidents for 40 seasons, right? Mm-hmm. 42 seasons, whatever yeah. it is now. Um, it's kind of like part of our culture to be able to, to make fun of people in politics. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they have become, especially recently, their own kind of brands with social media and mm-hmm. everything. You know, yeah. people are more accessible that sure. way. But I'm wondering, you know, what, what's different if there's anything about about this president as it pertains to the way that he is this kind of um, cultural figure? Um, you know, peop, you know, Will, um, Will Ferrell made fun of George Bush for for a long time. But the difference is like that Bush didn't tweet about it. After. Mm. Bush didn't say Will Ferrell is a, does a terrible impersonation of me. It's it's sad. It's the failing Saturday Night Live. You know, he never did that. The difference, which here's what I mean by Trump. Trump is at home watching SNL. That's what I mean by pop, cro- pop culture crossover. Mm-hmm. Trump will wake up in the morning and he's, he's, he's watching Fox and Friends. And he's, mm-hmm. he's literally watching Fox and Friends with the Fox and Friends viewers. He, he's like, it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, that's, that's, I think, what makes Trump different is that he, you know he's watching. 
Mm. You, know, you know he has something to say about Meryl Streep going after him at the Golden Globe. You know he has something to say about it. Mm-hmm. And then the next, and then next morning he wakes up and calls her an overrated actress. You know, who's going to... I mean, it's Meryl Streep they're talking about. <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the difference, is that mm. most people in power, they go out of their way to not respond to, to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. They're not going to respond to every slight. Trump will. Mm-hmm. He will respond to things small and big. He's just mm-hmm. going to respond. That's who he is. And he advertises himself as that. You know, I'm a counterpuncher. Mm-hmm. You know, I never punch first. I'm a counterpuncher, which, you know, I think that is uh, a little bit of a, um, uh, you know, a stretch, a, yeah. a stretch of, of, you know, something he said. But. What do you think, um, what, what's kind of, what's, what's coming next? What kinds of things are you looking for in terms of mm-hmm. the, the impact that Trump is having on on comedy, on culture, mm-hmm. on, you know, you, you cover this yeah. stuff now. So there's been, um, in the late night shows, there's been a shift where Colbert has kind of been beating Fallon quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And what you'd mentioned before about Trump fatigue is pretty mm-hmm. interesting um, because I wonder if those numbers hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if that forces Jimmy Fallon to the drawing board. And, you know, I wonder if that makes him go, or or is this a temporary blip? And we'll be back to the normal NBC, you know, mm-hmm. superiority. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a broader sense, I think that whole host of industries, not just comedy, mm-hmm. entertainment in general, you know, the, just the entire political establishment, they're all trying to figure out a way to reckon with the Trump presidency. A big thanks to our guests, and thank you for joining us for our first episode of Politics Is Everything. I'm Caitlin Huey Burns, and I hope you'll tune in again next week when we explore Trump's effect on another industry, the media.